Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. I am so excited for you to hear today's conversation. If you've ever felt like you want to give back but don't know if what you're doing is enough or exactly how to get started, this is the conversation for you. Kristen Brandt and Tammy Tibbetts are the founders of She's the First, an organization dedicated to securing quality education for girls around the world. Together, they took their experience and wrote the new book called Impact, a step-by-step plan to create the world you want to live in. Their insights are brilliant. I can't wait for you to hear it. Kristen and Tammy, welcome to Success. We are so excited to hear your stories. We're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. We're yes. so happy to be here. And we we should let the audience know, they already know I'm based in Manhattan, but both of you are just on the other side of the river in Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn representing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to get over there. I haven't, um, well, you know, COVID kind of keeps you within your own few block radius. So there's some, I never really have done any Brooklyn exploring. So I've got to get into that. Oh my gosh. We'll put an itinerary together for you. <gasps> Actually, would you do that? Put it together. Maybe we can post that in the show notes. Like here are all the places oh, yes. you should go when you can, when you come visit Brooklyn. I really do. I want people to start coming and visiting New York again. I feel like, I feel like we're getting ready for it. Right? I guess so. I don't know. Brooklyn and Manhattan are so different. Our office is in Manhattan. Uh, and every time I pop in to like pick up the mail, it does feel uh, empty compared to what it used to be. But Brooklyn is very lively, like really? very residential, like families, everyone's out in the streets enjoying the good weather now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we have a lot to cover today. First and foremost, I really want to hear about both of your stories, where you're from for for each of your that you as individuals, like how did you come to the place that you're at right now? How did you come together? I definitely want to talk about your organization, She's the First, and your new book that just came out, Impact, a step-by-step plan to create the world you want to live in. But let's start with each of you. Tammy, do you want to get started? How did you get into what you do today? Yeah, well... So much of it starts with when I was 17 years old and I was a senior in high school and I was very shy growing up, but to the point where when it was time to graduate from high school and the annual yearbook superlative tradition came around, I was voted most shy in a, in a class of like almost a thousand kids. And that was a real turning point for me because it's when I realized that I, I knew I had more potential and that I didn't want to live my life, you know, the way that my peers saw me as being, uh, you know, just kind of fearful of, uh, social engagement. So when I was going off to college, the college of New Jersey, um, I, I was the first in my family to go to college at that time. It wasn't like, it didn't feel like a big deal in retrospect. I appreciate that it, it was, 
but I saw that as a fresh start and I was going to major in journalism because ironically, though I was shy, I really expressed myself in writing and I was editor in chief of my high school paper. And I, I just loved to write and publish my words. So full circle with becoming an author, but college was my fresh start to like become the, the young woman I wanted to, to be. And that's where I really fell in love with journalism and ultimately decided I wanted to have a career working in magazines in New York City. So I started taking the train in and, and getting internships in college. Um, and then another moment that changed my life was when I was awarded a scholarship from New York Women in Communications, an incredible professional organization. And it was through that organization that I met Kristen Brandt when she too became a scholarship winner. Um, so that's when our paths first crossed. And it was at a time in the early 2000s when Facebook and social media platforms were beginning. So what do you do when you meet someone in real life? You immediately become their friend on Facebook. And we followed each other's journeys kind of virtually for a couple years as I was just a recent graduate and she was finishing up at Syracuse University. And um, it was one day in the spring, like almost exactly, it was in May, I posted to Facebook in 2009 that I had an idea for a campaign called She's the First that would raise awareness of how many millions of girls lacked access um, to education? And would anyone like to collaborate with me to launch this video project on YouTube? And that's where I got the one and only DM from Kristen <laughs> Brandt. So that's my biggest piece of advice. If you would like to co-found something with someone else, be the only one who DMs them. Uh, so right wait, in. wait, wait, you were the first, you were definitely the first then as well. Oh yeah. See, Absolutely. there you go. Yeah. Well, I love that. And so Kristen, take me back then. And Tammy, I want to come back and talk to you a bit about that aspect of uh, being shy. I, w I want to make sure we circle back to that. But Kristen, where did this all start for you? Yeah. So I grew up surrounded by women my entire life. Um, my mom had me fairly young. She was 19 and she was one of six daughters. So you can imagine the estrogen around me growing up. And we, we lived with my grandparents for a long time when I was little. And so I saw just constantly the power of a female network and what it meant to be a strong woman. And these women who worked so hard in order to keep their family running and moving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my mom for a long time worked as a waitress and then eventually put herself through night school to become a nurse. Um, and then was working nights and, and holidays at the hospital. So I've always very much kind of understood how, how hard women work mm. to create a life for their family. Um, but I also saw in that family dynamic, there were a lot of men who came through it who were either verbally or abusive or abusive physically. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I always kind of had this sense of something needs to change. I saw how the power structures weren't working for girls and for women. And that's something that I inherently knew I wanted to be part of, of creating change in. Mm -hmm. So when I got to Syracuse, I was also studying journalism because my, my thought was, you know, you read a newspaper article and you throw it away or you listen on the radio and you forget it the next day, but a magazine that stays in your bathroom forever. You always have that story with you. Yeah. And so 
I wanted to, to talk to girls and to talk to women through that medium. And so that's how I ended up getting that same scholarship that Tammy did and meeting her that, that fateful day in 2007. And a few years later, launching She's the First with her, which was really only ever supposed to be a media campaign. We were still going to go on to take over the magazine industry, right? We had, we had no intentions of turning our lives upside down to, to create a new organization. Wow. Tell me about this this media campaign. So like, what was your original? Because I think it's really fascinating. Um, and a lot of the people who I've interviewed on this podcast, they had what they thought was just a, a, a simple idea. And it kind of grew into something that maybe they didn't even imagine, or maybe they had imagined, but never thought was really possible. So, So what was... When you sent out that message, Tammy and Kristen, you responded. What was the initial thought? Like, what was what was the campaign going to be? So many times when people want to make a difference, it's because they're feeling inspired and they want to get involved. But other times it's when you're feeling angry, mm-hmm. like as Kristen mentioned, seeing these injustices in the world. And that's kind of where we started in a place of anger. Um in particular, there was an article that uh, was part of this Genesis story too. Of it was um, from an African newspaper in in Liberia, and it was essentially shaming teenage girls for becoming pregnant without any acknowledgement of the fact that they did not receive the support um, from their community to, to teach them about their sexual health and reproductive rights, let alone who was talking to the boys. And that kind of lit the fire of, you know, okay, when a girl becomes pregnant, then that's basically the the end of her education. She drops out of school. And that's where our our focus kind of began on education and how um, 130 million girls are out of school around the world. And it's such a loss of of potential Mm. because every girl, much like the two of us deserves that opportunity to decide who she wants to be in the world, what she wants to study, what kind of career she wants to have. So, um, we, we launched this YouTube video with the intent of trying to raise money to support organizations that were, uh, supporting girls education. Mm. And we weren't the only one at that time. It was like kind of when the, the movement was just beginning and there was, documentaries came out like Girl Rising and Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wudun wrote their book, Half the Sky. And these are these were the days before Malala was known um, by the world. And it was just like a be- the conversation was just beginning on how much um, power investing in girls education has. And in the last decade plus that we've been riding the wave of this movement, uh, we've come to see that the conversation is not just about their right to an education, but all of their rights. And that's really what She's the First does today as a girls' rights organization. Yeah. And and I know that first video, I was reading up on it. It was kind of this viral. So what So what did the video, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, or maybe they did see it, now they're realizing like what it actually was. Can you, can you tell me what that first initial like message was that, um, drew so many people in, like what, what was the video about? Yeah, the video and really the whole concept behind She's the First when we first started out was the idea that any girl can be the first. Mm -hmm. And in order to accomplish that though, she needs support. 
And the idea was really crowdfunding before there was crowdfunding. So we knew we were talking primarily to students, young professionals who didn't have money to buy a gala seat, right? They're not showing up for this like $300, $400, $1,000 event. Yeah. Um, but they want to be part of something and they want to see change happen. And as Tammy mentioned, there there was a lot of movement around the issue of girls' education globally. Um but there weren't a lot of ways for people our age to actually take action. Yeah. And so yeah. the message was really was really simple. It was get together with your friends online, offline, throw an event, host a thing, everybody chips in 20 bucks, and you've contributed to girls' rights and girls' education all around the world by doing that. So when did you start seeing it? When did you realize? Like, tell me the moment. So this is... Actually, I want to go back even further than that because I think that you know, Tammy, you said something really interesting right there, which was you either start something out of like love and passion or you start something out of, of anger. So here you are, you're really frustrated. You read this article, you say, Hey, who wants to, who wants to do something about this with me? Kristen raises her hand. What do you do next? Like, what does, like, how did you even know what to, cause I, I think about, you know, the people in my, my friends or, or people who I know who really want to make a difference and, and wouldn't even know what the next step would be. So can you, like, Kristen, you said yes on Facebook or maybe it was, I mean, I'm thinking you didn't say MySpace. So now I'm dating myself because that was my first social media platform. Um, but what did that like next conversation look like? And what did it look like for the two of you? And then how does that translate for someone who is either powered by passion and excitement or powered by anger um, that they can channel that energy? Can you take me back to those first few days? Yeah, well, I think it's important to remember, I didn't post on Facebook, hey, I have an idea. Does anyone want to work with me so that we quit our jobs, our secure jobs, mm. and you know, try to figure out how to fundraise our own salary yeah. and just see how it goes? Like That wasn't in my mind, and nor would anyone. That's really a scary thing to yeah. think about. Um, so I think we had two things going for us. Like one, we were young and there is like, there is an element of being naive because you don't know your limitations and that's really freeing. Um, but also we didn't begin with this grand vision of one day leading a global nonprofit organization. Mm. And it ha if we did, I mean, that would have just been paralyzing. Like we would have been so afraid. We would have felt unqualified. That's for sure. Um, as two young 20 something women. So it really is like the perfect case study and what can happen when you take things one day at a time. Like we had, uh, a, a vision of how we wanted the world to be, but we didn't have a vision quite yet of what we thought she's the first could be. And we kind of let the community guide us. And as we, as our supporters, you know, gathered, and as we started connecting with community-based organizations, their needs and interests sort of lit the path forward. I think that's a really important point there because now, especially since we are so interconnected on social media, we get so many incoming messages. We can see everybody in the big things that they've done. We can see you in the big things that you've done to, to come into something and think that it, you have to start with the idea that it'll be big in the and the power that as you just shared right there you had in not being not thinking big but thinking that by 
bit by bit, day by day. Kristen, do you remember that? Do you remember the first imaginations of, of what it could look like? Like, oh, we'll talk to this organization. We'll talk to this organization. Yeah. And I, I think the thing that was really important for both of us starting out also was that we might not have realized actually at the time how intimately involved we were with this cause ourselves. So Mm. we saw this article, we had an emotional reaction. The reason we had such an emotional reaction is because we both grew up in, in different circumstances, but in different ways, not experiencing kind of the the full realm of possibilities in the world because of our genders mm-hmm. or seeing how that played out around us. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way when you're when you're starting anything to being able to sustain it, to keep it moving, is that you have that personal connection because it means that you're almost never going to take it for granted that you know every single thing that should happen next. Mm -hmm. And that's where Tammy mentioned, we work so closely with community-based organizations. And, you know, we, we kind of understood from the beginning what our part in the movement could be as two young people who were strong communicators, who had access to a network of women and allies who were just ready for it and, and up for sharing their talent and their skills. We could kind of see you know, here is the space in this movement where we could really do something and we could bring our own skills and our own interests and our own abilities to create change. So we weren't, we weren't trying to create the next acumen fund. We weren't trying to create, you know, the next save the children. That was never the goal because we never saw ourselves as, as having the, the skill sets or the strength to do that. But we did see that we could effectively communicate about an issue and that we could create connections toward a solution. Yeah. Like to really lean into what your strengths are versus focusing on what other people are doing. I, it seems like such a simple, simple approach that I think it's easy, it's easy to miss. Yeah. And I think it's easy when people think about creating impact or mm-hmm. doing good in the world there's often this sense that you have to be this kind of noble, sacrificial person, like, you know, to, to start a nonprofit or to launch a movement or even to be a kind of like quote unquote do-gooder. There's this sense that you have to be someone else. Yeah. And that's, it's never true. You always have some skill or connection or talent that, allows you to be effective at creating a better world around you. You know, you don't have to be Mother Teresa in order to have a positive impact. I feel like such a huge sense of relief right now, just even hearing you say that, you know, like that, that we can, we can all do what, what we can do. And that's really what, that's really what you did. You're like, wait, I think we can do this. And then through those interactions, through those connections, then through your partners, you were able to expand. So tell me this, where, for those who haven't heard of She's the First, the organization, I feel like we should just kind of take a, a moment here and talk about it. Like, what what is this organization? Where are you? Who are you impacting? Give me kind of the, the high level of what is She's the First. Yeah, She's the First uh, is a nonprofit organization that's been around for 11 years, and we team up with women-led organizations that are working to make sure girls are educated, respected, and heard all over the world. 
So every year we are reaching nearly 140,000 girls across 26 countries. And our programs are focused on building the ecosystem of these girl-focused organizations uh, and supporting them in interventions that we know work, like feminist mentorship programs, sexual health and reproductive rights, and girl-centered program design. So we uh, host trainings, um, provide toolkits and resources. Kristen can tell you more about that. And the other big pillar of She's the First is girl-led advocacy. So we really believe in not just talking about girls, but letting them take the mic and tell us what they need and how to best support them. So you see this um, across our campus chapter community where we have over 150 high school, college, and university chapters of uh, across the U.S. and beyond of, of young women who are um, mobilizing their communities to support uh, these issues, but also speak up for their own rights and needs. And then we've got campaigns like the Global Girls Bill of Rights, uh, media initiatives. We use days like October, the International Day of the Girl on October 11th, and International Women's Day in March as opportunities to really launch a worldwide conversation of how we could all do better to serve mm -hmm. girls. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think I'm trying to do the math, I feel like 2020 kind of messed me up because I can't, like there's this weird gap year, but this has been now a, an organization for over a decade. What are some of the things that you've seen come of it? Like, tell us about some of the girls and, and what they're doing that is different than what they would have been doing as a result of what the two of you have done. Tammy mentioned the, the Girls' Bill of Rights campaign. This is one of our favorite things that we have ever been honored to be part of because the Global Girls' Bill of Rights, what it did was it pulled entries on what girls' rights should be, unalienable rights of girls, from more than a thousand girls in 36 countries around the world in five different languages. There were something like 10,000 entries into this, into this initiative. And it was a group of 14 girls on a panel who came together to kind of sift through that data and finalize what the top 10 rights of girls are, and then to declare that to the world. And they brought it to the United Nations. They presented it to the deputy secretary general. They presented it to the executive director of UN Women. Um, they did an interview with NPR. I mean, they took over the world for a week there. Mm -hmm. And it's still... It's a document that actually guides all of the work at She's the First because it is the, the world as girls see it and as it should exist for girls. Mm -hmm. And so that really guides us in, in what we're looking to achieve is to make sure that girls have access to those rights. And, you know, what you see is that when girls start getting involved either via, you know, stepping into a classroom, but especially through leadership initiatives, through mentorship programs, um, through these, these many initiatives Tammy was speaking to earlier, what you see is that they realize that they have that voice and they realize that they can create change in their communities mm -hmm. and that they do have rights. And that's one of the, the biggest wins for us, I think, is that every time a girl realizes that she has rights, and understands how to fight for them or who she can talk to if she's not experiencing all of them. Mm -hmm. That is a win. 
Yeah. You know, and of course we have some of our, some of the all-stars who go on. We have, um, two former students who went on to create their own organizations for girls in Kenya and Tanzania, Ellie and Cynthia. Mm -hmm. So now each of them impacts another 40 girls per year kind of working on their own programs. And you see just this, this ripple effect out. And the goal for us ultimately is that we are out of a job because Mm -hmm. the world doesn't need she's the first anymore because the world recognizes the rights of girls and because girls everywhere have equal opportunity to live the lives that they want to. Do you feel like there has been progress in the last 10, 12 years? Yeah, for sure. That like in terms of the data with education access, at least um, primary education is pretty much universal mm-hmm. with girls and boys having equal access. It's secondary school where we have to yeah. continue to fixate um, because so many girls lose the opportunity um, as as they get older around the world. Um, but just in terms of the global conversation, I mean, there's definitely still much work to be done because there's a lot of attention paid on children's rights or women's rights and why girls like are usually put in those mm-hmm. buckets. It's not the same as focus. They have unique needs. So I think that um, that awareness is beginning to, to be on the rise. Um, but when we look at where we started in 2009, where it was just like whispers happening about girls and, and what they deserve and um, how they how much they are underserved to now where it feels like the voices are are screaming and we just need to pay attention and and listen and pressure um, our leaders, our elected leaders and um, in our communities, make sure that we're listening to the girls around us and then contribute where we can to global efforts to do mm-hmm. the same. I, I know even just on a micro micro scale, when I, even for myself as a mother of a daughter, and I take just a minute longer to listen to her and her ideas about whatever it is, even at, you know, six, seven, eight years old, it's profound and the insights that she has and the spirit that's within her. And um, I've more than once had that moment where I've thought, you know, when does that change when she isn't fully confident in who she is and what her, maybe not rights, but, but maybe like where, where her, where she, stops believing in the power of her voice and that it has as much um, power as anyone else's. And Tammy, I actually wanted to go back way to the beginning where you mentioned, um, you know, growing up and getting, you know, for your yearbook or whatever it was, being the shyest one. Like, did you know that you were the shyest? Did you, like, why? Was that just your personality or were there other forces at work that kept you quiet when maybe you wanted to speak out? Like, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder that too, like, how did I wind up being so, so shy when I, you know, I have two parents who like always supported me. And, um, I mean, there, there's no, it seems like there should be no reason why I didn't have confidence, but that's where I think we absorb, like as girls, like absorb, absorb all these messages are from around them, from 
Um, it doesn't have to come directly from their household. And it was just, um, it, it was always like my worst nightmare when I had to get up in front of the class. I hated public speaking. I mean, now mm-hmm. Kristen and I do it all the time. So it's, it's something I always tell uh, parents if they have daughters who are very shy to know, like, this is something that, you know, you can outgrow, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I didn't have enough, um, maybe enough examples around me of, um, of older girls or women who um, encouraged me to speak up more. I had to sort of find my own, my own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kristen, how about you? I have always been very outspoken. Um, I think that is one of the benefits of, you know, for anything else kind of, kind of happening around me, having all of these women who were very opinionated yeah. and, and outspoken <laughs> themselves. Um, and because, because I grew up with that kind of fierce sense of, of justice and right and wrong and, and didn't always see that play out at home in the ways that I wanted to, it did actually give me almost more, more fire to speak up when I had that opportunity, especially at school and places where, um, where I felt safe and, and able to do that. Yeah. What a, what an interesting having the two of you then come together from like opposite sides. It's the perfect, it's the perfect coupling. So let's talk about, let's talk about the book because I, you know, you, you have this huge global nonprofit, you're doing incredible work, um, impacting so many lives. And then, you know, it's kind of like now you're taking that experience through this book and enabling other people. So, so why the book? Tell me about the book and why it was so important for you to write. You know, it's interesting. Um, so our answer to this question is, and it's a, it's a true answer, um, is that it's because there were so many people who would come up to us as founders of an organization and say, how do I do that? How do I, how do I create change? You know, what do I do next? Whether they wanted to start an organization or they just wanted to do more work in the nonprofit world, or they just wanted to know that they were creating some kind of impact in the world. And we've had a lot of these coffee dates over the years and, and we just can't, we don't have the capacity to be able to have that same conversation with everyone. And it's such an individual conversation. But what we could do was use frameworks that we had learned through running an organization to give people the step-by-step kind of plan and process for how to get there on their own individual journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I preface that with saying this is our, our kind of usual answer, just because one of the things that has really struck me about the book since it's been out is that earlier, Kendra, you mentioned how you felt such a sense of relief when we were talking about how you don't have to do everything to create change. You don't have to be everything. You don't have to, you know, be this noble figure in order to create change. That has been one of the biggest responses Mm. to the book over and over again, is this kind of just immense sense of, okay, so I can do this. Mm -hmm. This feels doable. It feels accessible. And I don't have to completely change my life. Mm-hmm. In order to know that I am, I am adding positivity to the world. I'm, I'm yeah. adding creative and and true change to the world. And so, in some ways, we wrote the book to answer this kind of 
intellectual question, logistical question of how do I create change? But the book has gone on, I think, to really answer for people a much more emotional one of how do I find my meaning in the world? How do I find my place in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, because I was... I feel like there are so many people who who have the heart and have the love and have the desire and then get completely overwhelmed at even the thought of it and would like see the two of you and think, well, then there's there's nothing I like, what what good am I? And then never put their drop in the bucket for change. Or I love that creating the world that they want to live in. So for the person who's sitting there, and especially after the year that we've been through most recently, I mean, amazing that the book came out in um, right at the end of 2020, correct? Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. like a a, a time that people were really ready for it. What are a few of the pieces of advice that you would give someone who, who has the heart and doesn't know what to do next? Any, any next steps for them? Yeah. Well, our, our reader definitely has a big heart and is someone who cares about so much. And that's why we begin the book talking about finding your North star because there, there's so much mm-hmm. guilt that people have when they have to say no to something And what we guide you to see is that when you have a focus, you're able to say yes and make much more meaningful commitments to where Mm -hmm. you are most passionate and where you are most set up for success to to make a difference. Um, So it all starts with finding that focus. And as Kristen said, tying it into something really deep and personal in you because that lived experience you have both the, you know, the happy pieces of it, the experiences and opportunities that you are, were privileged to have and that you want to pay it forward and make sure others do, or the experiences that weren't so good and that you want to make sure, um, aren't holding back others, um, finding Mm -hmm. that focus and then using that to evaluate what are the resources? What are the unique gifts that you have? What can you give And then we take you through a process to identify the needs in your community and in the organizations and movements and campaigns you want to serve. And how do you create that perfect match? I just love this Um, because, yeah, that's exactly like, what do I, what do I do next? That right there, that breakdown of either what you had and you want to create more of or what you didn't, and you want to make sure that others have what, what you didn't have. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, And I also and this is an important question that I have is, is it okay then, you know, so you find your focus um, and the thing that you are uniquely, like you, you just, you have a passion for this and maybe you don't have a passion. Maybe you have a passion for the environment or a particular tree in your community that is only found in your town and keeps getting chopped down. And you're, and like, that's, that's what it is. Like this tree, these trees really matter to you because you remember playing on them. You remember your grandfather telling you stories about these trees and you have these stories, you have that match. Is it okay to then say no to other 
giving opportunities. Like maybe you just, you're not into cats. And, and so you don't <laughs> want to, you know, like that's where so often as we do the, as I have host these interviews, and of course it isn't necessarily, it isn't ever actually in the nonprofit sector, but a theme that keeps coming up is how important it is to say no to things as well. Like, like, and, and you just, and I'm hearing kind of the same, the same thing is know your focus, know your passion, go there. But then if you're just saying yes to everything, you become very diluted, both in passion, in effort, in energy, perhaps even financially. So, so I think yeah. that's my question is, is it okay to go all in on the thing that really makes your heart sing, like you really feel. And then even though there may be other people who are saying, no, this is important, or this is important, or you need to be that you can say, I'm so grateful that that is so important to you. And I am going to focus on this thing that I feel very passionate about. Is that okay to do? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm, like nervous. I'm nervous to ask the no, question. It's a, but it's a great question. And it, I think it really reflects that pressure that we mm. all feel to, to do everything and to give to everything because there are so many pressing needs. There yes. are so many. And it's not that one is better or more needed even necessarily than others. Um, and so what we say is you find your North Star and you find that focus and you put as much as you are able behind that with one exception. And that exception is that you have to remember that you are still part of a community mm. and that because you are part of a community, you do have an obligation to make sure that you are integrating your impact effort into, into that kind of community, good community mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. And so what we recommend is that you do kind of you know, let's say put 85% of your time, your energy and your money into that North star, and then keep that 15% to say yes, when it's really going to matter, when being an ally for someone in mm -hmm. your community is going to make a difference. When your community is really struggling with something that, that you have just enough time and energy that you can really be part of those bigger solutions. Um, we call these your, your everyday impact points. Mm -hmm. It's, the impact actions that you're taking that aren't necessarily aligned with your North star, they're not going to pull a ton of time and money and energy away from it, but they're going to give you enough leeway to make sure that you're really part of the bigger movements that are happening around you in impact work. People often feel like they have to take the lead on everything. Like they have to be the biggest kind of advocate in the room for each issue. And that's part of that overwhelm. Mm. And I think about it, like when you have your North star, that is the area where you are waving the flag. But just because you have this area that you're waving the flag in doesn't mean that you can't go pay homage to the other flags mm -hmm. and people waving them all mm -hmm. around you, mm -hmm. whether that is their time or a volunteer day or, mm -hmm. or what have you. And that's how we find balance. That's yeah. how we make sure that we're, we're part of community and we're not frankly self-centered in that kind of impact goal, yep. but that we're most effective because we have an area of focus. That means, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to offer to walk dogs every Friday afternoon. Like I am going to say no to that. Um, 
but I might give $15 to a friend on her birthday who's fundraising for that because it really matters to her. Well, and, and you see that as, um, I heard that as you're talking about she's the first and that you focus on not just education, but the entire girl's ecosystem and, and all parts of the community. And that's another question I wanted to ask you is, um, like what counts? What, what counts? It sounds so, it sounds so silly, but like, does $15 count? Does organizing event, is that really, is that really what counts? Like if you're, let's say as both of you are great communicators, I myself am a writer. Like if I can write a piece for something that brings, does that count? Like what counts as, um, a contribution towards impact? Well, for your, your question about, um, donating every dollar truly does count, but it will count mm -hmm. more if you're able to commit to it on a recurring basis. So if you can set up a monthly recurring $5 donation, um, in some ways that counts more than the $50 donation that you're only going to make once. So if it's an organization mm. that is aligned with your North star and you really believe in setting up that recurring giving, um, is a great strategy. Um, as for the other ways you can deploy your skills, it really depends on what are you trying to achieve and like, what is, what is the need that you're trying to fill? Um, and if, if you can just make sure that with the leader you're following or the organization you're following, that what you are offering is what they need, um, then you're, you're, you're set up for success. It's when mm. sometimes, um, like a common request we get at she's the first very well intentioned is I have a bunch of books. I'd love to donate to the girls in your programs. And, uh, first of all, like many times, because the requests, the offers coming from, um, the U S like many characters in those book in those children books are white. And that's not what the girls that we serve look like. And it's really important that they see themselves reflected in the books that they're reading. Um, so it's not quite a fit in that way. But also, even if it was, the cost of shipping books uh, is very expensive, mm. where it would have been just easier to um, support community-based organizations and sourcing those books uh, locally for example. Wow. So thinking through, um, yes, you may have a bunch of product of some sort, um, but if it's not what the people in the program need, then that doesn't really count. But if you have a, a ton of, you know, a beauty company has a ton of makeup and they want to, and there's a women's shelter that's looking for, for those supplies and shampoo and stuff like that, then that counts a lot. You're you're saving yeah. them something that they would have had to spend money on, or maybe don't have the money to to fund. Um, so making sure that you're really listening to the needs of um, the organizations and movements you want to support. I hadn't even thought of that about the cost of shipping books. It would just be better to yeah, like that's that's fascinating. So two more questions. One. If I am someone right now who has something big on my heart and I'm really ready to create something, like I'm having my 2007, 2009 moment, like, like the two of you were, that's like, no, this is, this is what we're, this is what I want to do. What would you recommend um, the next step be uh, after buy your book? So that's the next step. And then after that. 
after that, make an impact plan. Um, so this is a, a big part of the book. So I'm cheating a little because it, it'll be in there. But the, the basic premise of an impact plan is that you write out at the top of it, big, bold letters, what your North star is. And then under that, you think about the goals that you have and you list out and you name one to two of your like big, hairy, audacious goals. And then a few of your medium goals, maybe a regular volunteer gig or a recurring donation or something that you're going to do on a more regular basis. And then those kind of everyday impact goals. So what are you doing weekly or even daily Mm -hmm. that you can sustain for the long term? And then hang it up, stick it up somewhere. Think about it like the much more practical version of your new year's resolutions. Um, it's your, it's your guide and you can review it every six months, every year and make sure that it works for you. But that's how, that's how you integrate impact into your life rather than trying to reshape your life around impact. There's so much talk about impact and it's such a difficult thing to measure, I feel like. And, and then because of that, it's difficult to know what you, but I love just having that plan and revisiting. I mean, yeah, we've all been told to set our goals. Why not set our plan for impact? Which actually brings me to the last question before we wrap up. Um, as you know, the podcast is called Success Stories. And so all of our listeners are achievers. They're, they're working towards something. They come to this podcast to be able to gain little pieces of knowledge that will move them forward in their own lives. And from each of you, I would love to hear, um, what does success mean to you? Tammy, why, why don't you start? Sure. Success to me is being able to do something that I am passionate about and that I feel has purpose in the world. Like we're recording this on a Monday and like, I don't have Sunday scaries. Like I am always excited to show up on a Monday and do the work and I enjoy who I get to do it with. And I feel like it is, it's aligned with my North star and it it contributes to the world that I want to see. I love that. Kristen, how about you? For me, success is seeing the impact of my work on and with other people. So whether that's seeing someone on the She's the First team really nail a big project or do a big, scary speaking engagement, or it's seeing some of the girls around the world pass their exams or get into the university they want or start a small business. Mm -hmm. um, Those are the moments in some ways that you you recognize that you have played a role, even a small role in, in real ripple effects of change. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's, that is success. Well, I mean, it's, again, it's like right there to success is being a part of creating the world that you want to live in. So tell me, where can we find you? If we want to know more about the foundation, if we want to know more about the two of you, um, I know the book is available everywhere. It is called Impact, a step-by-step plan to create the world you want to live in. Where else can we find you? You can find She's the First at shesthefirst.org. And planyourimpact.com has everything about the book. And you can find the two of us on Instagram at Tammy Tibbetts and at CJ Brandt. 
Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I have so been looking forward to this conversation. I am so excited to continue to follow your journey and watch the impact that you're making and the stories that people tell as a result. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kendra. Thank you, Kendra. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. <laughs>